0: Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger.
1: So welcome to episode six of Sleep Talk, our podcast talking all things sleep. I'm David Cunnington. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Moira Junger.
0: Hello, everyone.
1: And this week we're going to be talking about sleep in new parents, and we'll be joined by Dr. Bay Bay from Monash and Royal Women's Hospital. Thanks, Bay, for joining us.
2: Yeah, welcome, Bay. Hello, everyone.
1: Uh, but just to introduce things, uh, what's been in the news or anything you've noticed this month uh, about sleep, Moira?
0: Well, I noticed that Arianna Huffington had a great deal of exposure with her new book, The Sleep Revolution. Oh, I suspect you've read it.
1: Uh, Maybe? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I certainly well, did. The first couple of days it was out, I'd, I'd read it already. Being, oh, really? Being that sort <laughs> of geek.
0: <laughs> And it's on my list of things. What's it about? I mean, I know the essence of what it's about. And she's been talking about sleep for a number of years, as we know.
1: Yeah, so as people may or may not know, her personal experience uh, was that she was very busy and in the setting of being sleep deprived, essentially had a collapse and hit her forehead on the bathroom sink. Oh, literally had a collapse. Yeah, woke up in hospital. And she wrote about that in her previous book, Thrive, and since then has been on a bit of a uh, evangelizing sort of revolution trying to promote healthy sleep and getting people to avoid being sleep deprived. And that's the sort of that's really the essence of this book. Talking about as a society, we need to really prioritize sleep and therefore a sleep revolution, start thinking about sleep differently.
0: Mm. Well that's that's good because as, as we know, generally I suppose in that high end of the corporate sector, et cetera, it's it's a bit of a or well, until recently it's been sleepers for, you know sleep is when you're dead, or you can sleep later. It's a bit disparaging about prioritising sleep.
1: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And that's something we're going to work on in next month's podcast episode. So it's a timely, because that has been a lot of talk in the media about that, about how in business, you know, sleep when you're dead, and I've got things to do, too busy. So we will try and talk about um, the effect of not getting enough sleep on business, work productivity, and try and tease that out a bit in our next episode.
0: The other thing that's interesting that's in our sleep field at the moment and it's actually on tomorrow the the asa webinar um it's titled sleeping like a mum quantity versus quality and hawley montgomery downs from west virginia university is running that it's also being facilitated by sarah biggs from monash's um, ritchie center that's interesting in terms of having families and sleep in the not only are we talking about it this episode but notice that the rest of the field's been talking about it this month as well. Yeah, enter. so
1: what we talk about in this episode should complement what is talked about in a bit more depth, particularly some of the research uh, in that webinar. So I'd certainly encourage people to check out that webinar and the link will be in the show notes.
0: About what else has been happening, what's happening in social media, like the Sleep Hub particularly?
1: Yeah, well, we certainly had a great response to our last podcast episode. You know, as you and I know, we were really sort of – blown away by Jackie's generosity and the really great um, job she did of trying to convey what it's like and some of the impact of living with narcolepsy. And we really have, a, have had lots of good feedback from people and who felt that very helpful. We're looking to do episodes on a range of sleep disorders in the future. And if you do want to be involved or um, share your experiences with us, email us on podcast at sleephub.com.au. Or if you've got suggestions of people that you want us to interview, uh, use that same email contact. You know the podcast is really expanding. We've got over a thousand listeners now in twenty-seven countries, so pretty happy with oh. that, and really happy to be able to be putting That's out good great. quality information for people.
0: But I think yeah, I think the the last month one has been the one I've promoted the most in terms of in my general in my practice, and even with um, family and friends. Just I think it's just one of our one of the better ones in terms of as it, it's a particularly really good resource. I think for people with narcolepsy. Um, and the families of, of people with narcolepsy, and just to just to know that there's places and websites and and a lot of stuff that they just wouldn't have known about. So it's wonderful. Um, yeah, I'm glad that glad that we're doing it, and I think that we should continue to do as many things as we can this, on this podcast.
1: Yeah, and we can build a resource that's helpful for people to come back and look at individual episodes. Yeah, but I've also had my weekend at the health spa, talking at Golden oh, yes. Door about the role of um, maintaining. Good general health in terms of good quality sleep, and wrote a post about that um, on the Sleep Hub as well.
0: So was it well received? I'm sure the actual in, in, yeah. So both the Golden blog
1: Door? blog post was well received, but my talk at Golden Door was well received. And as always, I enjoyed my time at, <laughs> at Golden Door as well. I know.
0: maybe they need us to do a podcast there Nick, on on the site on site. Well, don't
1: you think? funnily enough, I recorded <laughs> an interview with the general manager talking about sort of health and wellness. So look out for that. Okay. It may it may appear in the podcast down the track. So this month our theme topic is sleep in new parents and as everybody knows who's been a new parent disturbed sleep is a very common part of having new babies at home and it can have significant impacts on parents and that's what we'll get into as we talk to our guest Dr Bay about that and if kids have their own health problems it can cause really significant impacts for the rest of the family. I'll just share a bit of my own personal experiences. Some of you may or may not know, but I've got a son with quite severe medical problems, um, both intellectual disability and physical disability, who's been very unwell since he was born. And as a parent um, of a child who's got that sort of problem and has seizures and um, waking a lot during the night, it can make you really be on high alert during the night and make it hard to switch off.
0: I actually wonder how you do it. I often... I know my own experiences of being a parent, it's really been sleep deprivation in the early days rather than this ongoing thing. I mean, Will's nearly, is he 14? He's
2: Yeah,
1: 14. He's
0: 14, so it's been a long time and you live a pretty fast-paced life and you're a pretty busy health professional and caring a lot for other people. How do you cope with your disturbed sleep?
1: Yeah, the secret is I've got a wonderful wife. Yeah. <laughs> that's, the, yeah. that's the secret.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it does take a team, you know, and as parents... Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can work as a team, you can often mitigate that impact of disturbed sleep. But that raises issues then if one parent's unhealthy or got their mm-hmm. own health issues, it can really be an issue. Um, or for single parents, you know, it's really mm-hmm. tough. You don't get a break. You know, there's none of that respite. So we're pleased to welcome Bay to the um, podcast. So uh, Bay's a clinical psychologist and sleep researcher with a focus on sleep problems as well as coexisting mood, anxiety, and stress-related disorders, uh, Bay's a lecturer at the Monash School of Psychological Sciences and co-chair of the Insomnia and Sleep Health Special Interest Group of the Australian Australasian Sleep Association. So, Bay, welcome and thanks for bringing your expertise to the podcast.
2: Hello, everyone. Thanks very much for inviting me. Welcome, Bay. It's such a, pl- a
0: privilege to have you here. I really, really appreciate it.
1: So, Bay, everyone thinks that new parents have their sleep impacted, but is it true? What does the research actually show?
2: Yes, so um, what the research shows really reflect what everybody's been talking about, the poor sleep, um, especially during the postpartum period, and some sleep disturbance during the um, pregnancy. So what the research has been showing is that during the early phase of the pregnancy, often sometimes women will, will experience some sleepiness, and they will actually report sleep a little longer mm-hmm. than they typically do because of the increased amount of progesterone um, because of pregnancy. But as the pregnancy progresses, um, typically sleep will worsen over the course of the pregnancy. It often gets worse and worse, and towards the end of pregnancy, that's really when um, everything gets really difficult sometimes. And that's often because of the growing fetus. Um, and women during the third trimester will often experience um, difficulty falling asleep, getting comfortable in bed, for example, taking longer to fall asleep, um, sometimes fragmentation in their sleep throughout the night and waking up throughout the night as well, and obviously low sleep quality overall. Um, And there's also higher rates of sleep disorders during pregnancy as well. For example, um, about... About one in four women will actually report that they regularly snore um, during pregnancy Mm -hmm. versus only about 4% of women will say that before pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. that's a huge amount of increase. Um, There's also higher rates of uh, restless legs as well during pregnancy. So all these things could contribute to poor sleep as well. So really by the time a woman reaches um, when they deliver the baby, they really have experienced a number of months of chronic sleep disturbance for many women. Obviously, some women might actually just be fine sleeping through their pregnancy, fine. Um, but for many women, it's accumulation of sleep disturbance for many months.
1: Yeah, so coming into delivering the baby, they're not starting from a baseline of well-rested and feeling exactly. great. Exactly.
2: Yeah, so with delivering a baby, and that's really associated with acute sleep deprivation. And especially if you deliver at night, um, that's a total sleep deprivation for a whole night for many women. And the immediate postpartum period uh, has been this just consistent amount of report of women not getting enough sleep at night. Um, and there's a lot of awakening, especially during the first number of weeks. Um, what happens is that uh, women actually tend to catch up for the sleep during the day. So, um, so the total amount of sleep... Um, they have might be around similar. Sometimes for some women, they might be similar um, compared to their pregnancy level, but because they actually sleep during the day, so the restorative value of the sleep they get at a different time might be different as well.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way of conceptualizing it is maybe the total amount of sleep is not different, but your sleep quality or, yeah, restorative nature may be different.
0: And what does this mean in real terms and for? for the mothers that aren't getting as much sleep as usual, what impacts does yeah. it have or what, what are they at risk
2: of then? Well, there's a whole range of um consequence on um their how they feel during the day and how they function during the day as well. If we think about how they feel emotionally, um chronic sleep deprivation is has been associated with mood disturbance like you might be feeling low and anxious, more stressed during mm. the day. Um, Things that you kind of feel like you can normally do quite easily can get quite hard. Um, physically, you might feel more drained, um, fatigued, and sleepy, um, and you might find that your attention, memory, might not be as good as before. And that's obviously associated with, um, for example, driving and whether you can sustain um, sustain attention while you drive. So that's something we need to really look out for in new moms. And something that um, that's not always talked about is the irritability and anger mm-hmm. and the way um, you uh, a, mo- a mother might be interacting with people around them for example with a partner and also with with a baby and sleep deprivation is associated with um, difficulty in communicating your emotional needs and sometimes emotional availability um, to the baby as well so and also sometimes some mother would say they feel less. Feeling of positive experiences, and that might um, it might make it difficult for them to connect with with their babies.
1: And what sort of impact does that have on things like mood and um, ability to just deal with day to day activities?
2: Yeah, um, I think really little things can get quite hard for um, for some women, and the the lack of enjoyment in the things that they used to enjoy can can quite can be quite difficult. Um, really a very day-to-day task can be affected. And um, the thing with sleep deprivation in new parents is that it might not be the first thing that come to mind. Um, you might not realise this is something that might play a role. You might just simply go, oh, I'm simply just tired, rather than thinking um, I might need a couple of hours more sleep. What about,
0: I'm, I'm interested in an aspect of one of your recent papers, in, and you mentioned it just before too, that sometimes there's a bit of a difference in the mother's perception of how much sleep they've had and, you know, what the um, objective measurements might say. I'm interested in that for the general population, too, of people, when we talk to them about their sleep and maybe their perceptions of of their sleep loss, What's your opinion on that? That's
2: a really, really good question, Maura. So in that study um, that you mentioned, I think in that study, we looked at um, a few dozens of mothers and we looked at their objective sleep and subjective sleep and their mood while they're pregnant and also um, after they gave birth. So what we found is that, and I think this is a really important point, that is almost everyone had very, very disturbed sleep objectively. So that Mm -hmm. really acknowledge sleep disturbance uh, in this population. Mm -hmm. Now, we found a stronger association between their subjective perception of their sleep quality with their mood compared to objective sleep durational quality with their mood. So what that means is that um, when our sleep is being challenged, when we we don't have enough sleep opportunity, if you go with, okay, this is my circumstance. Uh, Given the circumstance, I've got reasonable good sleep and I can go along with it, and those individuals tend to cope a little better. Yeah. Um, so in my in my opinion, really the objective sleep opportunity is really, really important, especially in new parents. Um, on the other hand, given the circumstance they're in, it's actually important sometimes, but it's in, almost inevitable to lose some nights of sleep, yeah. and as you take it in a stride and go, okay, I might not function um, 100, 110 percent, but that's okay. 60 percent, 70 percent will get me through many things I want to do. Yeah.
1: And that's a very similar approach we take with insomnia. You know, outside of new parents, just generally managing chronic insomnia is, you know, people get um, distressed about the perceived sleep they're not getting, and we go very much on. Um, you know, trying to reduce that distress about sleep and less concerned about sleep. So it sounds like there's a lot of overlap there in their approaches.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And but where are we at in terms of like the fathers or other family members? In in any of the literature, so we, another we, we could, really good question. We more. couldn't get, we couldn't find that much, could we?
2: No, there yeah. is not much um, research that um, that focused on the father. Um, in fact, I really think the field of sleep research really need to start considering sleep is not something that happens in isolation. Mm. People sleep in household people people share beds all yep. the time, mm. and how how the sleep of each individual dynamically kind of interact with each other is a really interesting area that we really haven't as a as researcher we haven't looked at much and if we think about new parents um moving especially if if you're just having your first baby moving from a couple into having another third of, like another person into the household, that's a huge amount of change into the dynamic of the sleeping patterns. Um, so I think, especially as father, it, it, that's an area that we didn't, um, need a lot more work.
1: Yeah, so there were a couple of papers I found. So one that resonated for me was that dads reported tiredness and fatigue and were still three months after delivery were working the same number of hours that they were prior to delivery, but having those additional home responsibilities and just felt that they were very tired because they you hadn't changed their work practices. So maybe that's an area for researchers looking at, yeah, you know, that expectation of the worker in the household. It doesn't always have to be the male. It can be the, the mother. Let's that's, that's go back to work. But, yeah, changing the expectation about work once, once the new baby's around.
2: Just on that note, David, actually, now you mentioned about work, I actually think in terms of a couple, and often we kind of conceptualise the dad going out of the house and work. In fact, a lot of the work that's done in the household by the mother, say, for example, if the mother stays home, yeah. um, that's also part of work that can be conceptualised as work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Unpaid work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Exactly, 24-7 mm. often sometimes around yeah. the clock.
0: And I guess it's interesting too it, we're not always forget we we know that dads get depressed as well. You know during that postpartum or even pre peripartum period. Yeah, and
1: there was a paper I found from 2015 from um, Scandinavia, which showed that if dads had depressive symptoms, so not depression but depressive symptoms at three to six months, was a very strong predictor of who was going to have more significant symptoms at 12 months or have developed an act episode of depression at 12 months. So for me, that was a bit of a thing of you know. Check, on, check in on how the dads are going in that time. And if they've got symptoms heading towards depression, you need to do something because you sort of know what it may develop into down the track.
2: Just um, in terms of the like clinical services, perinatal services, actually, there's just been a lot more recent recognition of dads not getting enough attention and clinical attention um, in terms of their mental health. And the few perinatal services that I'm aware of, um, they have all really started to try very hard to incorporate dads in in the service. Um, so Center for Women's Mental Health is where I work and we try to involve the dads at least in one of the group sessions um, that we run. Um, and in individual consultations, especially during the initial consultation when we try to do a good assessment, um, the dad we always try to encourage the dad to come as well. And in many other mother-baby units, the dads are also involved in there is also like programs and groups for that support as well. So there is some support there for, for dad, but I definitely agree more systematic research is really needed in this area.
1: And we've talked just about sort of general sleep in new parents, but are there particular populations, either characteristics of the kids or characteristics of the parents that put people at more risk? Of getting problems with anxiety or depression.
2: Yes, um, obviously, with a, um, if somebody has a mental health hist- um, condition before, that's that's a, that's a risk factor, mm-hmm. and um, and sometimes um, infant temperament, and um, if you have a more unsettled infants and you you get woken up a lot more, um, that's a risk factor as well. And also, for example, if your your coping strategies, like how you deal with sleep loss, if you try to say stay in bed for longer to make up for the sleep you lost and um, things like that can really play a role as well.
1: So we've talked a bit about what the problems are. So what are some strategies that can be used to help parents deal a bit better with the sleep changes that occur when a new baby arrives? Ah,
2: That's another really good question. Um, I think one of the, the major, two major challenges in this period would be one, it would be obviously we talk a lot about it, um, today sleep deprivation and finding the opportunity to sleep and the other one is possibly symptoms of insomnia that is even with the opportunity to sleep and some uh, new parents because of many other reasons as well um, and stress and might actually find it difficult to sleep with the opportunity Mm -hmm. so it's actually really important to help um, new parents understand and kind of self monitor the differences between am I actually uh, getting enough sleep or am I sleep deprived or Do I actually have symptoms of insomnia? Because um, the strategies for both of these problems are actually very different. With sleep deprivation, and I think that would be the majority of new parents, Mm -hmm. um, we really would like to encourage them to recognize the value of sleep. It's not just um, that. You might feel better um, but also it will be a little easier for you to make the emotional connection with your partner and your baby as well so um, it has an overall benefit and ask for help and say yes to help it's it's probably one of the hardest thing um, for new parents and especially new moms and it sometimes it might be quite easy to just Go. I'm just about to do some dishes, and while my baby asleep, now it's time for me to do the dishes. And before you know, it, your baby is awake, and you just miss the opportunity to have a have a good rest. So finding the opportunity and really prioritizing sleep is really important for sleep deprivation. Um, now with insomnia um, symptoms, if it, with the opportunity you can't sleep, and um, there, there are strategies that are really effective. I think in, in this podcast, um, David and Maura has been talking a lot about these strategies, um, seeking professional help and noticing that you have the difficulty. There is actually really effective non-pharmacological treatments available for that.
1: Yeah, and we work with a number of people who will come to see us almost anticipating the baby's coming and saying, look, baby's coming in five months. I know I'm a bit vulnerable and I don't sleep well. Let, what can I do to upskill myself in self-management around sleep? And I, I think that's great. That's a fantastic sort of use of that psychology-based strategies. People pre-arming themselves with ways they can manage their sleep, reduce the risk of developing that insomnia-like thinking, to better manage sleep after baby comes.
2: Yeah, absolutely, but, David. You made a really, really good point. Um, that is walking into this be prepared and having good expectation. And the problem at the moment is that in in the current perinatal service, we actually don't have much information for for new parents. um, Working into uh, having a baby and the amount of sleep deprivation that they're actually going to get and everybody would know that okay I'm going to be sleep deprived but they don't actually know how bad it's going to going to get so um, some um, currently probably in in childbirth education there's information on how to settle our infants how to feed them and things like that but there's very little information to help the new parents actually to actually deal with the sleep deprivation they're going to actually face so as a service we really need something um yeah i
1: agree and there's a lot of room to um boost up the sleep education in those sort of prenatal sort of education programs and then what about if once the baby's arrived and you know parents are feeling that it's either difficult to settle the baby um or they're having their own sleep problems you know what are some options or you know where can people go for help?
2: Maternal child health nurse would be one place to start mm-hmm. um, and health professionals your GPs and talk about it um, and obviously I, th- I really think health professionals should start asking your parents about their sleep and that's really an important area just to ask how have you slept last night? How, how has your sleep been lately and there's both inpatient and outpatient services available uh... So those
1: inpatient services like mother-baby units, you know, I think they've really got a role. Um, They provide um, respite, so the opportunity for both mum and dad to get a break and catch up on some sleep, Um, an opportunity for the infant to help with being settled and get their sleep into a more regular uh, pattern. Uh, And I know you're working with some of those units to look at the potential outcomes and, you know, how things may improve. And we'll learn about that as that research comes out over the next uh, year or so. But, yeah, my feeling is they're a bit underutilised. Not that the waiting lists aren't long, but people are often a bit reticent. I'll say, I'll only do that if I'm really in a crisis. But they could actually be a bit more proactive in in terms of using those sort of resources.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I think uh, in Australia we're in a really um, good position because mother-baby unit is actually quite unique to um, the Australian okay. system uh, when I went and visited some of the um, American hospitals in, in the United States and they don't actually have mother baby units the way we do and mm-hmm. whilst in, in Melbourne alone we have a number of them available okay. so it's actually a really good option to learn some skills and get some respite.
0: And it's good that they're both there's some public ones as well as privately. Funded, so it's not only people with private cover that can get them. It's they're accessible. I think the waiting list longer, of course, without private cover, but they're accessible to all. And I think they're really important for, particularly for the respite. By the sounds of it, for people to have a uh, a circuit breaker from the difficulty and feeling not feeling alone at home. Because I think I think from one of the big take home messages would be that you're not alone. That there are resources out there. There's people in this in this
1: field. So thanks very much for joining us, Bay, and for giving those really great. Uh, insights. You're
0: welcome. Thanks
1: Thank so you, Bay. So, Moira, what's your take-home messages from that interview with Bay?
0: I think just what I said then. I think I feel I feel heartened, even though I've already I know Bay well, and I've I've heard I know about the resources out there. I think what it's just really quite um, clear that there are there's lots of research, there's lots of focus, there's lots of facilities and resources out there for not only mother baby unit but for, you know parents, new parents, uh, having sleeping difficulties. Yeah. I think the other key thing that I took from from Bay is the interesting thing about talking about sleep deprivation or insomnia, and mm-hmm. that they're very different yeah, I things. Like, I like that, and that they're treated very differently as well. I think it's important for people yeah, to think about. Sort of, sometimes you can normalise. There is there is going to be sleep deprivation. It has to has to be, I guess, if you're caring for an infant that, particularly in the early days, does need settling, does need feeding. Mm-hmm. Is there's no two ways around it. But it doesn't necessarily have to be an insomnia because the difference with insomnia, it's um despite adequate opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, that you sometimes it's just you just haven't got the opportunity and sometimes you can't sleep even with the opportunity and it's important yeah. to know the difference yeah. and, to not, and to have someone, if you're not sure, just talk to a GP, talk to uh, Look Up Sleep Hub, um, yeah. talk to someone about what the difference might be and get some reassurance and clarification around that.
1: Yeah. And one of the things uh, when I reflect on what Bay was talking about as well is Uh, The concept of flexibility of thinking about sleep. So we come across this in insomnia all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. people get a very rigid thought process about sleep. It's got to occur in this place at this time under these circumstances. But, yeah, with a new baby in the house, we've got to be a bit more fluid. Mm -hmm. You know, sleep can occur in different opportunities, different times, different circumstances to what it does. And not
0: to get too hung up on that. Like people are reluctant to sleep, to, to have a cat nap. Yeah. They might have said or someone's told them or their mother or mother-in-law or someone's GP has said, oh, oh, don't sleep during the day, then you won't sleep at night. And there's a few myths around that. I think mm-hmm. catching sleep when you can get it is really important. Just nap around the clock if you need to in these particularly early days.
1: So if people are looking for more information on the topics we've been talking about, the Gina Hales Foundation has a really good uh, website that's a good resource and it's the What Were We Thinking website. So that's www.whatwerewethinking.org.au. And they've got an information on a range of different topics for new parents, including some instructions on something we didn't actually talk about, but how to settle kids with using a feed, play, sleep routine. I remember when we had our kids, which just going back a few years now, about 14 years ago, uh, we really found the Tweddle's book, Sleep Right, sleep, T- sleep Tight, really helpful, which is really just a practical manual for doing that feed, play, sleep Routine. Mm -hmm. And as we've discussed, um, really utilise resources like the maternal and child healthcare centres and utilise your healthcare professionals because they're going to be the access point to then access a lot of the services that we've been talking about.
0: Absolutely. Okay, we've come to the part of the podcast where we talk about our clinical pearl for the month. Dave, what's your clinical pearl for this month?
1: Yeah, so I've been trying to tie in a little bit with the theme, but it also goes across lots of chronic health problems. Um, is get your team together and think of that concept of prevention always being better than trying to rescue or salvage a situation. So the example in sleeping new parents is if you think sleep's a bit vulnerable and you're coming into pregnancy, that's the time to work on the skills about getting sleep better and that's the time to get your team together. People are going to help out when you need a break. People are going to give you some support. Mm -hmm. rather than waiting until the wheels have fallen off and you're in desperate need because it's a bit hard to get your team together at at that point. So, yeah, that that would be my key, you know, for people, get your team together. Don't be afraid to ask for help early. And if you've already got your team, then they'll be knowing they're going to tap them on the shoulder and ask for help and you know where to go. And have a plan. So we we often talk in insomnia about have a plan of what you're going to do if you get a relapse. So that if yeah. the sleep does get worse, I know what I'm going to do. So in that self management sense, I have some control. Absolutely, it's not a disaster, yeah. and I'll be able to manage it.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. A plan is really like a, like having a road map. Going out on a road trip, yeah. you just have to actually have that comfort of knowing you've got a, a plan. If you do feel a bit lost, yeah. um, the only thing I would add there is that that you you know people need to understand that towards the end of the pregnancy, if they felt even. For, vulnerable that to normalize a bit of sleep loss yep. like that you know it is hard it is hard to sleep not the baby's bigger it's kicking it's it's hard to get comfortable just to normalize that sort of stuff and not panic thinking oh i've heard that we've not, we need to protect our sleep we need to yep. reach out for help just to normalize a bit of sleep loss around that time um would be really important
1: so, what's caught your eye this month, Moira? In terms of your, what's your pick for this month?
0: Well, I know that we don't normally have to have it linked particularly to the theme, but I couldn't help but being looking at, the you know, thinking about my pick for the month that I couldn't go past um, the book Baby Love by Robin Barker, and it's been around. It's an Australian sort of bestseller for mm-hmm. new, new parents around the time of um, having the. F- particularly the firstborn baby, the only firstborn. And it did all aspects of parenting, particularly sleep and okay. sleep and settling and those sorts of techniques. And I know it was useful like my first baby was more than fifteen years ago. Yeah. And it was old then and it was sort of a classic then. And it, I noticed that it's still a bestseller, it's still it's still relevant. It's been edited, it's it's been republished only maybe 2013. Like it's all recently up to date. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think that's great. I think it's worth putting in the notes for this thing, you know, talking about parenting and sleep. I think it's something to for people to keep an eye out for. What about you? What's your pick for this month?
1: Yeah, so there was a report from the Royal Society of Public Health in the UK on the importance of sleep, and it was titled, Waking Up to the Health Benefits of Sleep, And a really well-researched report, and you can download the whole report as a long PDF document, and I'll put the link in the show notes, about the consequences of not getting enough sleep. Not insomnia, not where we provide the opportunity but the sleep doesn't come, but yeah, being too busy and not allowing the opportunity for sleep. Uh, In the UK, 4 in 10 people reported not getting enough sleep and 1 in 5 people report sleeping poorly most nights. So it's really a call to action from some of the Um, the Royal Society to a lot of the funding bodies in the UK to help prioritise sleep, allocate resources to educating, for example, GPs, nurses, health professionals on cognitive behavioural therapy and other non-drug treatments uh, for sleep disorders. So I really thought that was a very timely report and a really nice document we can use to advocate for the importance of sleep. Sounds good. The things that are coming up in the next month about sleep, as we talked about at the top of the podcast, there is a webinar run by the Australasian Sleep Association uh, on May the 10th, and it'll also be available afterwards um, on the website, and again, the links in the show notes. The topic is um, sleeping like a mum, looking at sleep quantity versus quality, and we've talked a bit about that in this podcast, but that'll be explored in a bit more depth by Hawley Montgomery Downs and chaired by Sarah Biggs. Uh, Look out for next month's podcast where we're going to be talking about sleep in business and the impact of sleep on managers and executive performance uh, and some of the strategies that people in those roles can put into place to help with improving sleep. So thanks for listening. As always, send us your comments uh, at podcast at sleephub.com.au and if you like the podcast, put a review on iTunes because that helps the message get out and more people access these resources.
0: Thank you, everyone. Talk to you next month.